Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're a fan of the show, I apologize that you hear this every time, but we're trying to grow and build an audience, and so it's important for repetition. Uh, repetition commits to memory. Uh, if you're local, you're hearing this, you know where Highway 316 is, Athens, Atlanta, 85, the cut through. Uh, come be my guest one Sunday morning. We'd love to have you. Our service begins promptly at 10.30 a.m. Maybe you live in a community uh, where you go to a church, you love the church, it's a good community, you need to go. Maybe it doesn't have solid Bible teaching, so you don't feel like you're being fed, but you understand the importance of community. Or maybe you live in an area where there's just not a very good church at all. Find a church, go there. Um, but you can always watch our church. You can join us digitally, again, at 10.30 uh, a.m. on Sunday mornings. And you can join our live stream, calvary316.live. Um, again, maybe you can't do that because you're going to church. Uh, all of our sermon content is posted at c316.tv. That is kind of our hub. The church website is calvary316.tv. And if you go to calvary316.tv slash revelation of the king, you will be able to access the entire media archive of the series that I am very much at the end of finishing. And that is a verse-by-verse -verse series through the book of Revelation. Again, Revelation of the King. The book opens uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and that's what the book is about. It includes end times. It includes apocalyptic events. It includes uh, future and prophecy. But all of those things exist for a function, and the thesis is laid out in the first verse to reveal Jesus. I think the best way of viewing the book of Revelation is to see it as, as in some ways, the fifth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first advent of Jesus, you learn, obviously, much about his character and his person. But the book of Revelation is the unveiling. It's the pulling back of the curtain of the rest of the person of Jesus, where he, yes, may have come in his, in his first advent as a suffering servant, but he will return as a triumphal king. He might have been a lamb led to the slaughter, but he will return as the line of the tribe of Judah. He might have wore a crown of thorns, which is a perfect symbol of his sacrifice, but he will not return to earth wearing a crown of thorns. It'll be a golden crown, for he will be king and he will rule the earth in a very profound, very cool series. So if you're interested, check that out again, calvary316.tv slash revelation of the king. I do hope that wherever you're listening or however you're listening, whether you're listening on one of the amazing radio partners, uh, this is a nationally syndicated radio show, or maybe you're listening to the podcast. So every episode of the radio version gets condensed down and podcasted. So whether you're listening on radio or the podcast, again, podcasts available on uh, Apple Podcasting, Google Play, Spotify, really wherever uh, you get podcasts, you'll find us. Search my name, Zach Adams, or Outlaw Radio. So whether you're listening on the radio or the podcast, or maybe you happen to be watching us, so Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock, we live stream the recording of the radio show. Uh, the radio show and therefore the podcast are not uh, released live. Um, they're pre-recorded, but, uh, but we live stream that recording. And so uh, 8 o'clock every Wednesday night, we live stream the recording of the radio show, what you're listening to. And, um, and it's available on uh, facebook.com slash the radio outlaw or our YouTube channel which is outlawradio.live. And so I encourage you to check out uh, the live stream. You can kind of put a face uh, to the name. And what's really cool is there is the opportunity for me to interact with you, the listening audience. So we talk about the importance of our contact information, outlawradio.org, our email address, links to Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. We love to hear from you, the audience. Uh, but we can do that in real time. In the context of the subject matter we're discussing um, again, Wednesdays, 8 o'clock, if you, if you tap on to the live stream. So uh, I am joined, as always, by my, my partner, sidekick, my little brother, Creighton Vaughn. Creighton, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How are you doing out there? And so your, uh, your function is multifaceted when it comes to uh, not just the radio and the podcast. You actually released the podcast, correct? Uh, don't you? Oh, that's actually me. You do the church. I do. I do. That's right. 
Yeah, man, uh, you really caught me off guard. I, there. I was like, you, have I, I been missing a part of my job we, <laughs> for months? Straight. <laughs> uh, no, no, but uh, but you you're very pivotal when it comes to the live stream function of what we're doing. Isn't that correct? Yeah, basically that all passes through me. Um, if you would like to talk to Zach on the live stream, you actually need to post in the comments on like YouTube or Facebook. And if I think it's good enough and relevant, then I will tell him what you've said and then he will respond. Um, or if it's to me, I will respond. So it's one, of the, it's one of those things where, again, what you're listening to, what, what's fun about it is if you do go to YouTube or Facebook, you watch the live stream. And if your comment or question about what we're discussing is good then uh, it could make it into the show. And so you might wait a couple weeks, but you could actually hear me reference you and your question, uh, which is fun. And so, again, we're just trying to expand our ability uh, to not just engage the audience, but to um, articulate the things that, um, that this show is about. Now, I kind of spent some time creating about this Revelation series, which you've been a very much, you've, you've been a part of it. So you've listened to the whole thing. Uh, how, what, what's your thoughts of the series itself? Um, well, it's the most I've enjoyed eschatology, um, which is one of my least favorite disciplines in uh, Bible academia, Bible study. Um, I very much enjoyed it. I thought it, it's fascinating. Um, and there's a lot of things I didn't realize where the connections are, what things mean, um, and just how bloody it is my good golly gosh and you know one of the things that i think is 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 lost in any study of the book of revelation a is how jesus centric it is because you know while you're going through you know apocalyptic things you always need to bring it back to what is this revealing to me about jesus about his person about his character that i might not have gotten from the four gospels again this is the unveiling of jesus this is about revealing a person through particular events so there's a lot that can be gained a lot that can be learned the other thing that I think um, is, uh, at least in, in my travels, personally speaking, is how deeply relevant and relational the book is. Like, again, you're looking at future events, but they, they really do set this, like, like there's, an there's an interesting application to the book of Revelation if you study it, I think, the right way. And, and that's often the knock about the book of Revelation is, why do I care? How is this relevant to me today? Um in my life, what I'm facing, what I'm going through. But, but again, when you learn things about Jesus from, from the future, you learn things about him in the present, which I think is, again, very, very, uh, a very cool thing uh, about the book of Revelation. Again, the, the unveiling of a person, a person, by the way, that you gave your life to and, <laughs> and will return with him being the king and you being an administrator of his kingdom. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's also really important to remember that we're closer to the rapture today well, than we you. ever have oh, been you're before. You're just throwing that out there. <laughs> that's absolutely true. And in about a minute, wait, we're closer now. <laughs> so that's that's always been the thing. Now, now, I introduce all of this because... So I was teaching through Revelation 19, the first 10 verses or so. And, um, and there's an idea that's introduced in that section of Scripture, an event that's defined as the marriage supper of the lamb. And this is, this is a title. This was a thing that I had always heard before um, that I thought I had a, a good understanding of, of what this was, what this event included when this event happened. But as I really started studying it, started listening to other people, um, started digging into it, the more I would say dissatisfied that I was that I really had a solid understanding of what the marriage supper of the lamb was, which then kind of, and again, you know how my brain thinks led to, uh, you know, one rabbit hole that led to another rabbit hole and, um, and ended up being like two nights of studying, um, without ever actually getting back to the Bible study. But I found it to be very interesting, uh, and very relevant. Now you've heard this Bible. Now I'm not, I'm not giving a Bible study today. That's not the whole idea, but I'm going to share kind of a thought that emerged from a Bible study on this particular passage um, dealing with a Jewish wedding that I thought was, was awesome. Like it, it kind of really influenced the way that I saw a lot of things. You, you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. I, I remember it. I thought it was a good Bible study. So I am always skeptical. I'm always skeptical when <laughs> an idea or a theology, theological opinion 
gets founded upon Jewish tradition. Uh, that's always that's always a worry, and mainly because um, Jewish tradition is largely influenced uh, by and large by a lot of non-biblical ideas. Um, so much when you study Jesus and his ministry, a lot of the things that he had issues with with the Pharisees, with the scribes, with the religious establishment, weren't based upon actual scriptural ideas, but about Jewish tradition. Things that they had they had brought up onto the same level of authority as Scripture, but that weren't. And so a lot of the things that Jesus is rebuking them for and attacking them on, like for example, the Sabbath. You know, the, the Bible has very little to say about the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath day holy, take a day off. The seventh day God rested. As far as like what that looks like in practicality, the law had very little to say. It was it was more of a principle designed for the benefit of the individual. Well, you get into the dynamics of the fact that they had never taken a Sabbath. Uh, they had never allowed the land to take a Sabbath year for 490 years, so God exiled them to Babylon for 70 years to allow the land to rest. Like when the Jews came back from Babylonian exile, they were super geeked up about the fact that they had missed the Sabbath, that they then added all this tradition to it to ensure they adhered to it, and then they totally missed the whole point of the law, which was, again, the benefit of man. It was to articulate to man that... Um, that there's nothing you can do. Like you should take a day off from working. Why? To realize your work doesn't matter. That that what restores the relationship with God that was lost on day six, it's the work of God on day seven. And that you should just do nothing, recognizing that there's nothing I can do to 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 reconnect with God. It has to be a work of God done for me, which is then why the eighth day is the day of grace. It's a new day. Again, completely missed. Jesus has all these issues with the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, because they had taken the Sabbath. They wanted to make sure that they they adhered to it. So they added all this tradition, all this, you know, well, what does it mean to work? And they had, well, there's so many steps and you can't do this. You go to Israel today, interesting, um, on the Sabbath, the Sabbat, sa Saturday, uh, elevators stop at every floor. And they do that because religiously to press the button would be work and therefore a violation of the Sabbath. So on Saturday, if you get into an elevator, you stop at every single floor. You think that's crazy now from the Orthodox Jewish community, but it was that way kind of on steroids during Jesus' day. How much grain, like could you, could, you, could, how, could you eat this? Could you walk there? Could you do that? And Jesus is like, the Sabbath was not made for man. Man was made for the Sabbath. Like you guys have completely missed this through all of your tradition. So that's kind of my skepticism when you start developing an idea on Jewish tradition. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. That was the whole point of the, would you save your donkey if it fell in a hole on the Sabbath thing? Like, what is the point? And Jesus is like, save your donkey. <laughs> yeah. The donkey needs saving. Now, I, I will say there's a, there's a guy. I want to do an episode on him, Rob Bell. <laughs> uh, what happened to Rob Bell? A lot of things happened to Rob Bell. Rob Bell was like notorious for like going back into the writings of the rabbi. Now, Rob Bell's today a heretic that's neither here nor there, but he would but he would build this whole, like, really fascinating idea detached from Scripture that was really thought-provoking, but completely based in, like, Jewish tradition and lore, which, again, is not Scripture, and in so many ways is kind of like anti-Scripture. So if you're ever going to go to Jewish tradition, there has to be a lot of Scripture to substantiate whatever idea you're bringing up, Right? Absolutely. Now, now we're going to do this because I, when we come back, I'm going to build on the idea of a Jewish wedding, but I'm going to tie this to a bunch of scripture. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. One of the most important visions of the Outlaw Radio Show is our desire to challenge you to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on your own. The sad reality is many Christians fail to reflect Christ because they don't know what they believe or why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to the Outlaw Radio Show tackling tough topics you might not hear at church, it is our desire to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this important process, we want you to check out blueletterbible.org. It would be an understatement to say that this website will transform the way you study the Bible. In fact, it will revolutionize it. 
Aside from their treasure trove of free online commentaries, blueletterbible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it super simple to dive into the original language behind a text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of scripture and in the process, learn and grow, we encourage you to check out blueletterbible.org today. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. So teaching through the book of Revelation, I get to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I start studying like, okay, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now again, Jesus is no doubt the Lamb. And who is he marrying? Well, it's, it's the bride. It's the church. Now, in that context of Revelation 19, uh, she's re- referred to not as the bride, but as his wife, which again is a very interesting thing. Digging into this whole idea, because I, I thought I had known uh, what the, the marriage supper of the, of the Lamb happened to be. Great, and you and I actually had a conversation when I was working through this, and I was like, Creighton, what's the marriage supper of the lamb? And, and your answer was what? Boy, do I not remember. I don't um, know. Oh, that, cool. I was going to try no. and be cool and think that I had an answer. Cool. Again, I, I've, I, I've taught through the book of Revelation once before as a youth pastor, twice, actually. Uh, we did a youth, a youth camp, like a seven-day beach trip, where we taught through all 22 chapters in one week. Remember that? Vaguely, yeah. I mean, it was probably like fifteen years. It was ago. it was hardcore, but and, and I've been through a, a actual a college cle- a, a class on the Book of Revelation. Again, I just looking at this, I just was like the marriage supper of the Lamb. So this is all related to marriage. It's a marriage supper. When like what is this? Which got me into this crazy dive into into an area that I'm not necessarily a huge fan, and that is like ancient Jewish traditions. Now, that's not to say that ancient Jewish traditions don't play a role or can't give you interesting insights. Because again, you're studying the, the Jewish culture uh, that Jesus was alive in. Again, you can't just dismiss the traditions and the culture and the norms um, because that's a lot of the, the cultural context that Jesus was speaking to at the time. You know, there were things that Jesus would bring up, not necessarily like having a biblical root, but he's addressing a cultural norm that didn't have a scriptural root. And so knowing that what the rabbis were teaching and, and the Torah and the, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the traditions, the, there is a place, there's a benefit. So anyway, I went on the deep dive about a Jewish wedding. And, and what I discovered was fascinating to me. So there's, there's a couple ways that I could go about this. When I was teaching this study, part of the study, at Calvary 316, uh, with each point, with each phase of the Jewish wedding, I then immediately provided like the scriptural uh, backing behind it. I'm going to take a bit of a different approach here with the Outlaw Radio Show. I just want to just purely talk about the Jewish tradition, kind of lay it all out, and then uh, towards the end of the show, work backwards and start laying out the, 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 not just the scriptural equivalencies, but then the application of how, and again, here's the thesis, the procedure of a Jewish wedding gives us this fascinating insight into Jesus, his relationship with us, the church, and kind of his plan for the ages. It's like this really pretty, uh, like buried down deep, hidden gem that when you start working it through, again, I would never do any of this if it didn't have some scriptural root, but it's amazing how it connects to so much scripture. That makes sense of, of, of how I'm articulating that? Absolutely. I can't wait to hear it because I've, I've heard the basis of this before, but it'll be interesting to hear it from the other direction. I'm pumped. Okay, so when you're talking about like an ancient Jewish wedding, there were traditionally three very distinct whether you want to call them phases or parts, like three segments uh, to the procedure itself, like how all of this unfolded. Again, you, you understand where it all begins, two people that are not married, to how it ends, two people that now are and are starting life together. Now, how we get from point A to point B, there were three very distinct phases to this. Now, the first, there was what was known as the Shadukum. Now, the Shadukum was, I mean, it happened very early into the entire procedure. It was a prearrangement. So 
let's say you know you were the 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 patriarch of a family and uh, your neighbors or the people down the street who you went to synagogue with they you know, you're friends with another you know, a guy that you grew up with and he's now the patriarch of a family uh, you've got a, a a boy he's got a young girl and you you spend your time together your families are close well the shadukum was this prearrangement that that was made between fathers where two fathers, patriarchs of families, are like, hey, I've got a son, and you have a daughter. They're close enough in age. Uh, why don't we get them married at some point? Like, why don't we go ahead and, and enter into an, an agreement that when they're of age, they're going to get married? So that was what the shudukum was. <clears throat> in common culture, you would call it kind of a prearrangement. Like, it's a prearranged marriage. And that's what happened in ancient Jewish culture. They didn't... <laughs> I think there's some wisdom to this. Parents didn't leave such monumental decisions as to who their kids were going to spend the rest of their lives with up to like adolescent whims like we do in our culture. Like how many how many really terrible mistakes could have been avoided if parents made an agreement when kids were young and they just held to it? Like I read a stat because they do this in like Hindu culture and certain Muslim areas and in various other parts of the world. You know, the the divorce rates among prearranged marriages are astronomically lower than the marriage rates of, you know, when it's all free will. It's love that brought us together. And it's because the entire context of what the wedding, of what the marriage, of what this is it's a commitment. It's a vow. It's, it's an agreement. It's love comes later. Love is the byproduct of a covenant and working through things. You know what I mean? Academically. Yes. Academically. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> right. I get, I get you there. So in Hebrew culture, the first phase of this whole marriage process was the shadukum again, prearranged marriage. It's a handshake. My kid's going to marry your kid. It'll be great. We're not going to leave this up to them that they don't have a say uh, this is a deal, like we have reached a deal. Now, the second part of the marriage process arrived the moment now the kids are what we would call marrying age. So again, the Shadukum, there's a prearrangement. But what happens now that they're, they're of age? So they're now the appropriate marrying age. Again, the, the, the guy, the male is probably a bit older than the female, but they're both, uh, she's of childbearing age. Uh, he's at the point where, you know, he can provide for a family. And at this point, the second part, the second phase, is what was known as the erusin. And this was what you can kind of classify it as like a formal engagement. So you go from a prearrangement to a formal engagement. In historical, even biblical terms, you would call this the betrothal. Now, in order to legally bind this agreement, again, what had always begun is just a handshake between fathers, to bind the agreement legally, an agreement reached years earlier, the mohair, or, or, or what you would call the purchase price for the bride, the dowry in more common terminology, would at this point with the arusin, it would be paid by the father of the groom. So the father of the groom, the kids are now of age. They're going to enter into the erusum. He would pay the mohair, the purchase price for the bride. Again, something paid by the father of the groom to the father of the bride. And, and once that transaction was completed, you got to understand that the bride and the groom were officially legally married. Like the only way that the two could be separated would be through like a formal divorce certificate. Like you are as married as you could ever be. Now, the caveat is that during this phase of betrothal, the erusin, the union of husband and wife is not consummated. So there's been no sexual uh, interaction and the two parties have to remain apart for a season of time. The woman was required to remain under her father's roof and her his authority until the groom accomplished something that was important, and that was preparing an adequate dwelling place. Now, again, culturally speaking, first century Jewish culture, even going back earlier, an adequate dwelling place by the husband, the son, would, would be an extension onto the father's home. So this, 
you know, he's married. They haven't had sex. They're separated. His job is I've got to create a home. And I'm going to do this off of my father's. Now, again, if you're wanting kind of a, a scriptural reference for all of these things, this is why Mary, again, the mother of Jesus, is constantly referred to in what we call the Christmas story as being Joseph's betrothed virgin wife. They're betrothed, so they're in the Arusan phase, but she's a virgin because they haven't consummated the relationship. They are absolutely married, married, which is why Joseph is kind of wrestling with, like, what do I do? Because she's pregnant and... How does that work, right? They're legally <laughs> married, but they haven't slept together, which is what made her turning up pregnant problematic. Now, we're going to get to the last of these three phases. But before I do so, Creighton, you have yeah, any comments or any questions about, about where we are thus far? Um, just that I bet no one builds a house faster than a young Jewish man <laughs> trying to get his wife. <laughs> like, like, do we... I need four walls. Is that about it? Right. Do we need a roof? I can get away without like that strut or this column. It'll be fine. Well, as we'll get to, what's interesting is that it wasn't left to the groom to decide when the, the addition was completed. Like his father had to give the sign off. So there was kind of a check and balance. That's probably for a reason. Probably absolutely for a reason. Well, I, I will say just because we're reaching a break, uh, visit... Uh, two websites I want to I want to mention. First, visit outlawradio.live or facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. And I bring that up because uh, we live stream the recording of the Outlaw Radio Show on both of those two platforms. Again, outlawradio.live or facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. Eight o'clock on Wednesday nights. Secondarily, outlawradio.org, which is our main website. If you go there, you can get links to our podcast. Every episode is podcasted. Apple google spotify and you can also access all of our contact information because we love hearing from you the listening audience you're listening to the outlaw radio show with zach adams and creighton vaughn we want to encourage you to subscribe to the outlaw radio podcast you can find the outlaw radio podcast on any platform where you listen to podcasts and we would also encourage you to check out the outlaw radio facebook page twitter feed and especially the YouTube channel. The Outlaw Radio Show is streamed live on YouTube every week. So please check out those places where you can find more about the Outlaw Radio Show. And don't go anywhere. Zach and Creighton will be back in a moment with more on the Outlaw Radio Show. This is the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams and Creighton Vaughn. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. So I'm talking about the procedure behind a Jewish wedding. And there were three distinct parts. And there's a there's a reason that I'm bringing this up. Because I think when you dig into this, there's this really radical picture that gets presented. Now first, there was what was known as the Shadukim. This was a prearrangement that was made between fathers. Prearranged marriage. My son's going to marry your daughter. Marriage was not left up to adolescent whims. This was a prearrangement. Now, the second part of the marriage uh, doesn't come until the kids have now reached marrying age. And then you have what was known as the Erusin. And this was like the formal engagement. It was called the betrothal. It was a legal binding agreement that was reached between the families. And it, was, it became legally binding because of the mohair. So uh, the, the father of the bride has set a purchase price, and that price, the mohair, is paid by the father of the groom. And once that transaction is complete, once that money <coughs> changes hands, the bride and groom are officially married. Now the caveat is that uh, the union isn't consummated, and they have to remain apart. And they're remaining apart for, for a very particular reason. The, the groom is preparing a home for his bride. That's the whole idea. Whether that ends up being an extension to his father's house, which I would say was predominantly the case, or he was building his own. The groom is preparing a home. They're married. 
He has a wife, a bride. He's preparing a home. She is preparing herself. So she is living in her father's house, as she always has. She is under her father's authority and, and, and protection. But she is awaiting the third and final stage of this marriage process, what was known as the neshun. Now, this Hebrew word neshun, it, it means to take. That's what the word means. Now, the bride. The bride knew going into this that it was going to take some time, you know, f- for the groom to make proper arrangements to prepare a house. Likely, it would take a year or so. So there's no disillusionment. She's at home waiting, and she knows generally that it's going to take some time before the groom can come and retrieve her to himself. Again, nishun, meaning to take. The, the woman doesn't know. She knows about the season, but she does not know the exact day, nor does she know the hour. In fact, the groom himself doesn't know the day or the hour because in order for him to go retrieve his bride, his father would have to grant him permission. So he would have to inspect the dwelling and say, son, you've done a good job. This is adequate. Go get your bride. And this meant that the bride for this year or this season would be living every day as the groom could come for her at any moment, at any time. Now, when that day finally arrived, the Nishun, when the, when the father tells his son he can go and he can, he can get his bride, now, as you would expect, the groom immediately, I mean, he springs forth into action. I mean, there would be no delay. And traditionally, as he's approaching, so he leaves his father's house, there's fanfare, he's on his way. As he's approaching to, again, retrieve his wife to himself, there is the blast of the shofar, the ram's horn. And it would be that blast that would inform, again, sound traveling a good distance, it would inform this expecting bride that guess what? The time had come. At long last, the groom was coming. He was coming to to retrieve her to himself so that they could start their life together, so that he could bring her to his father's house where they would have a ceremony with the entire community. Now, together. So, again, the groom... He's come, he's retrieved the bride, she's been prepared, she's ready. He sweeps her off her feet, he brings her back to her father's house, and at that point there would be a ceremony, a beautiful thing. Now the ceremony would take place under what was known as a hopa. A hopa was a a decorative marriage canopy. And this marriage canopy is where the, the bride and the groom would finalize their marital vows, their vows... Uh, to each other. And again, remember, up until this point, they had not made vows to each other. There was a prearrangement made with the fathers, then a, a transaction, the mohair, between one father to the other. This is the moment they're actually making a commitment to each other. They're already married, legally. But this is something special, something unique, something, something cool. They're exchanging vows to one another. And they're doing this, by the way, again, under the hopa, this canopy, uh, before God. And then they're also doing it in front of their, their friends who have gathered and their family. Now, following this ceremony, and this is what's very cool about digging into the research of all this. Following the ceremony, but before the, the party got started, before the party popped, the bride and the groom, so they've made their vows to each other, again, before God, before friends, before family, under the hopa, which is why we have marriage canopies in our culture. They would leave the hopa. So they're declared husband and wife. There's a whole thing. But then they would be escorted to a private secluded room that was known as the Yishu. Now, keep in mind, they're guests. Everyone that's come to watch them exchange vows, they're waiting. And they're waiting patiently. I no doubt there's probably some dwarves. You know, they're interacting, hanging out. But they're waiting. And they're waiting because the bride and the groom have gone into the yishu, the secluded room, and it would be in this room, again, while everyone's waiting, that the couple would do two things. First, they would have their first meal together as husband and wife, which by that point, they've got to be excited about. 
fasting, wanting to fit in a wedding dress, the fanfare, the procedure. If you've ever gotten married, you realize you forget to eat. And it's always nice that when you get to the limo, that there's a, a, a basket of food of some kind because you're, you need it, right? So they, they enjoy their first meal together as a husband and wife. But, but then again, why everyone's waiting, not only do they share a meal, but they actually, Jewish tradition, they consummate the marriage. So they have sex. Now, now it's only after this private time with one another that the bride and groom are ready to officially begin their new lives together. And this is what makes the whole, the whole imagery really radical to me. So they've consummated, they've eaten, in order to make their official appearance. As you would expect, the bride has to ready herself, clean herself up. Same with the groom. They have to get prepared. And together, hand in hand, they exit the Yishu. Again, that public, private, like that private room, but they exit publicly. Again, all the friends, all the family that have been waiting, they exit the Yishu and they present themselves for the first time as husband and wife. No, they're not bride and groom. The marriage now has been consummated. They've shared a meal. They are now officially husband and wife. Not a bride, but the groom's wife. And, and again, as you can imagine, right? There is this instant eruption of applause from the banquet guests. I mean, I mean, the party is going on. The celebration takes place. And this celebration, as it's occurring, it transitions into a very specific and particular feast that's known as the Shuda. Now, this feast would include a formal supper, a marriage supper, that would be accompanied, again, by music and dancing. In today's Jewish communities, for practicality, the Shuda would only last a, a, a few hours. But in ancient times, again, small communities, this was a big event. And the Shuda, the marriage supper, this wedding celebration, it could last for an entire week, seven days. Now, it's within that context I want to read a section of Revelation 19. John says, that after these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and honor, and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again, they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down, and they worshiped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from heaven saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, the sound of many thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the Fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. So I fell at his feet, this being an angel. But he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, John says, I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war, and following Jesus are the saints of God. Don't go anywhere. We'll tie this together on the Outlaw Radio Show. Did you know beyond the unique content of the Outlaw Radio Show, Pastor Zach Adams also has an extensive teaching archive available online for free? If you love to study the Bible, we encourage you to check out C316.tv. Currently, Pastor Zach is teaching verse by verse through the Gospel of John, but C316.tv also has video, audio, and sermon notes for the Gospel of Mark, the Book of Acts, Ephesians, Genesis, Philemon, Jonah, Philippians, as well as an in-depth study on the Olivet Discourse and Jesus' seven letters to the churches recorded in Revelation 3 and 4. 
with over 17,000 minutes of expositional Bible teaching and more than 2,775 pages of written sermon transcripts, C316.tv is a must visit for any serious student of the Bible. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. So I'm talking about an, uh, the procedure behind an ancient Jewish wedding and, and the three phases and how the, this tradition has such a cool, presents such a cool picture of deeper things. Creighton, as I was going through it, were you able to kind of pick up any of the, the, the scriptural connections? Because again, we don't want to base things solely on tradition, but when there's a scriptural connection, it's pretty cool, right? Yeah, absolutely. There, I think the most obvious one is the, um, the groom preparing a place for his bride. We'll get to that. Let me walk you through the, fa- the, the, the three phases. So, okay. again, the, fir- the first step was the shadukum, the prearrangement, right? Mm-hmm. A prearrangement that's made, right? Now, I, I don't want to de- like divert into like really deep theological matters or controversy, but isn't it cool that if you're a Christian, the Bible is crystal clear that you were chosen by God to have a relationship with his son, Jesus. Like in Romans 8, 30, we're told that whom he predestined, these he called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he glorified. Like you have, like there's a prearrangement to this marriage, the shadukum. Like, like further evidence of that can be found in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. Like how incredible as it is to think that God fully knew you and yet still called you. Uh, I actually think the fact that he fully knew you makes it an even cooler idea, idea than just the prearrangement of a marriage. Because it's like, like he knew who I was when he called me, even in the times when I was awful. And he still made like, I still want him. Yeah. You know, if you're uncertain whether or not you're predestined by God to have a relationship with his son, Jesus, like all you have to do is give your life to him and all the uncertainty will be gone. Yeah. Now, the second part, the erusin, the formal engagement period. Again, how, how is that, the, the, the legal standing, how is it met? So you have a prearrangement, we've been predestined, but how is, how is it all... How do we get into a legal arrangement? Well, again, it's the purchase price of the bride, the mohair, ends up being satisfied by the groom. And consider the purchase price by God the Father required in order for you to be part of the the bride of Christ. Like in Romans 6.23, we're told that the wages of sin is death. Like debt, death is the debt that you owed. But how amazing that even knowing that, God so loved the world, or you, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Like consistent with this ancient marital tradition, Jesus satisfied the purchase price. He paid the price so that this arrangement could be legally binding. But then what happens biblically? Well, it's the same thing. We're betrothed, but there's a separation that has to take place, right? In John 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus, he told his disciples something very specific. And and again, in the context of this Jewish wedding tradition, it it takes on a whole new wrinkle. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You who believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Again, his bride. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. Nishun, to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So again, we have this, like these first two steps, we have a very clear parallel. We have been, we have been prearranged. And um, this, the, the purchase price was satisfied, the mohair. And then Jesus went to prepare a place for us connected to his father's house. In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place, which leads us to, again, this third phase, the, the Nishun, the taking, because for us as, as believers, what are we waiting for? I, I know I've been prearranged and I, and I know I've been boughten. 
I've been purchased. But what am I waiting for? I am waiting for my groom to come back for me, to call me. I'm waiting to hear the sound of the shofar to be taken. Again, you know, we're told that the bride doesn't know the day or the hour, but nor does the groom. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 36, he says, of that day and hour, no one knows, but my father only. Again, the father has to sign off on the deed. In Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, Jesus, he taught a parable that ties into these things perfectly, perfectly illustrates it. Let me read it for you. It's a little lengthy. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise and five foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no, no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, the cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. While they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. The door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, and this is Jesus' exhortation, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And how, like, doesn't that just perfectly connect with just the entire process? You know, there's a day, writing in 1 Thessalonians 4, that Paul he describes Jesus coming to retrieve his bride. And tell me if the language doesn't sound the same, right? We said, Paul says, for, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet, the shofar of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall always be with the Lord. So, Tying it all together. Jesus comes and he retrieves us. I believe that's the rapture of the church, the description. We're betrothed. We've been arranged. We're betrothed. We're waiting. And that day will come when Jesus comes to retrieve us. And then what happens? Well, again, if you just extrapolate out the way this works, we will enter underneath the hopa. There, there will be a ceremony of sorts. I, I believe that's actually the Bema Seat of Christ where there's this beautiful exchange. And then what happens is we go into the, the Yishu, this private room, like the church is in heaven while affairs are happening on earth. Like we're, we're in this private place of intimacy, of oneness, where we eat and we consummate and, 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 and we, we, we create this, this unity. Again, it's this process by which the groom has taken the bride and they become one. Now they haven't been ready to start their life together, right? Because there's this point where from the Yishu, there's a presentation of, of the groom and his bride, no longer the groom and the bride, but the husband and the wife, which is interesting because, again, the marriage supper of the Lamb is classified as a celebration of what? Not the bride and groom, but the husband and the wife. And what follows that is the second coming of Jesus, where we come with him, which I believe is the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, we talk about the end times. We talk about the Great Tribulation and the end of it, the Battle of Armageddon. The Battle of Armageddon will be a blip. It's not even a battle. It's bad branding. It is a celebration that Jesus and his bride are, are exiting the Yeshu of heaven publicly to begin a life together on the earth. It's why this celebration, the marriage supper, lasts for a thousand years. It's why every year the population of the world comes to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. Again, we're out of time, but what a pretty picture, right? Absolutely. I think it's... Can't wait, man. Absolutely. It's going to be fantastic. Well, listen, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions, comments, reach out. You have been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. Uh, if you're listening on the radio, I would encourage you to reach out to your local Christian radio station and thank them that they're doing what they do and that they're also carrying this type of programming in your area. If you're listening on the radio, check out our podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify. If you're listening on the radio or our podcast, check out the live stream. Wednesday nights, 8 p.m., outlawradio.live or facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. Again, Wednesday nights, 8 p.m., we live stream the recording of what you're listening to. Once again, my name is Zach Adams, and I hope you join me this time next week for more of the Outlaw Radio Show.
You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.